Fast Talk. Street Talk. Talk Radio. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the home of common sense, the one place where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's been another busy old 24-hour news cycle, I have to say. Boris Johnson's in Brussels, Joe Biden is still in his bedroom, Vladimir Putin is still illegally invading Ukraine, and this morning we'll be casting our eyes around the world to figure out just exactly what is going on. Sebastian Gork, a former advisor to President Donald Trump, is here with his take on the incredible story surrounding Hunter Biden and his emails. He'll also give us his view on the New World Order crackpots that are convinced we're all doomed to a life of slavery under the yoke of a secret cabal of globalist madmen. Uh, Mail on Sunday columnist Dan Hodges back on the real world of reality. He's up first though with his analysis of yesterday's Rishi Sunak budget statement. Is it a sticking plaster over a gaping wound or will it really help to make ordinary families less badly off? And how exactly does this national insurance trap work? How does that make anybody any better off? The Daily Mirror this morning says thanks for nothing. On its headline, the Times has got the biggest fall in living standards since the 1950s. And to be honest, uh, it's hard to know whether the fuel tax cut has been of any use whatsoever. We need to hear from you out there. Have you seen any petrol stations anywhere in the UK actually reducing the price of fuel? 0344 499 1000. Coming up, Tonya Buxton is here as well. And we're going to be talking food because yesterday, as you might have heard me saying to Julie Hartley Brewer, I was refused a medium cooked burger in a restaurant right here near the office in Borough Market. Apparently, it's because of instructions from the local council. That's right, Southwark Council and the High Vis Jacket Brigade are apparently now telling me what I can and cannot eat. You can have steak tartare, that's raw, but what you can't have is a medium-cooked cheeseburger, because it might kill you. I mean, for God's sake, 0344 499 1000. Uh, Also coming up, of course, a little bit later on, James Chiaverini is here. Uh, We've got the Thursday Club with Helen and Nicklin. Uh, We've got loads of calls coming in from you, of course, as well. We need to hear common sense because there ain't too much of it out there. Has Rishi Sunak done anything to make you better off? That's what I'm asking you this morning. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. Now, of course, also on TV. It's Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, there's lots to talk about this morning. Boris Johnson, as I say, is over in Brussels, urging the West to do more against Russia. There's a NATO summit going on. We'll find out whether or not we are going to um, sort of commit to more uh, help to um, to the Ukraine troops, whether we're going to commit to more weaponry, whether we're going to commit to more money. We still have the conversation to have about the number of refugees who are coming here. Let's say a very good morning to Dan Hodges from the Mail on Sunday. Hi, Dan. Morning. Morning. Uh, so I suppose the first question, Dan, is um, was Rishi Sunak um, doing anything yesterday to make people's lives uh, a little bit more manageable or was it all a bit of smoke and mirrors? Uh, it was all smoke and mirrors, actually. I mean, there was Thank something... you. See you later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Um, no, it was, uh, it was something quite surreal. I mean, I was sitting there watching it and, uh, and there was just something otherworldly about all this stuff. I mean, he was he was again... We saw this in the budget where he presented the budget, which last year, which was a, which was a tax raising, major tax raising budget. And then at the end of that budget, he said, but I don't want to do any of this. I want to cut taxes, even though he just raised taxes. And we had the same thing yesterday, which was I want to cut taxes, but I'll do it in two years time. Here are some measures to deal with the cost of living crisis. It won't go far enough, as you pointed out, as others have pointed out. 
we're set to have the biggest impact uh, in terms of um, cost of living since records began. And what he announced yesterday isn't going to even put a dent into that. So, and, and, and frankly, I, I, I was trying to work out if he was clear yesterday in his own mind what it is he actually wants to do in relation to the, 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 the country's finances. And I, I just didn't get the impression he, he he's particularly clear himself about what he what he should be doing at the moment, to be, right. to be perfect, right? I mean, we did call on him to, to reduce the fuel tax, but 5p really doesn't make much difference when you consider that in the past several weeks, it's gone up by about 20 pence a week. Well, exactly. I mean, my understanding is it's take it if it, if it were passed on in full, and as you've accurately pointed out, it's not exactly clear if it will be passed on to the full courts. But if it were, it would basically take petrol back to the to, to the prices we saw two weeks ago. So, uh, you know, that it, it's very difficult to see how that's going to help. Mm. I mean, the other thing as well that I thought was remarkable about his statement yesterday, he actually stood up and said none of the figures that we saw yesterday none of the modeling economic modeling we saw yesterday takes into account the war in the ukraine mm. which he himself acknowledged would probably have a major impact on the british economy and that's not even factored into what were as it was very bleak figures right yeah and i mean it seems to me that he was making uh, a great fist of making that out that he was doing loads when in fact when he got down to the nitty gritty of what he was doing, it wasn't very much. I mean, ra raising people uh, out of tax, I suppose, so that you don't pay any tax until you're making twelve and a half thousand quid, um, isn't going to make that much difference to many people. I wouldn't have thought, is it? No, and I, I mean, I, again, I was watching it, and, and and I think part of it it was it was very heavily choreographed. So I was sitting there watching Tory MPs cheering wildly and frantically waving their order papers as he announced everybody was going to get a cut in VAT on if they want to install a heat pump. Now, you know, obviously every little bit helps, but I'm not entirely sure for the vast majority of people listening to this programme, that is something that's going to really make a huge impact on their day-to-day -day lives. And I, there, as I said, there was just something quite unreal mm. about it. I mean, I think what we, what we have definitely seen politically um, I mean, I've been writing about this for, 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 for a time now. I mean, this is now the end of the whole Rishi Sunak loving. You know, the, you know, he was getting, in, you know, incredibly good headlines with his because of his response to the pandemic and the support he was giving people to the pandemic. That's all gone now. The yeah. whole Dishy, you know, Dishy Rishi narrative, that's gone. He, I mean, he, he, he ran, you know, headlong into into, you know, economic and fiscal reality yesterday. Well, that's right, because in the end, people have worked out it's all very well calling him generous, but it wasn't being generous with his money. It was being generous with our own money. And now he's asking for us to pay him back, even though we, ne we were never asked whether we wanted to give him the money in the first place. But also, it's, it's like um, it was like it was pointed out yesterday. What, what is the logic in terms of raising taxes via national insurance and then saying you're going to cut taxes at some sort of some future date? by reducing the rate of income tax. I mean, it, 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 I, I don't know what he thought he was going to do yesterday. I don't know whether he thought he was going to get away with this sort of uh, fiscal sleight of hand. But if, if he was, then the, the, the papers this morning have 
pretty squarely disabused him of that notion. Yes, I think that's right. So, I mean, what will he have done on the actual face of it? I know you're not an economist, Dan, but I mean, all the papers will have, as you've seen this morning, worked out sort of how much it's saved for one one family as opposed to another. Look, that, it doesn't look that much different. I'm getting a lot of texts and tweets in this morning from people saying the petrol prices are pretty much the same today as they were yesterday. Well, I mean, look, the, the actual reality is, you know, partly, I mean, obviously, we've got to be fair to Rishi Sunak. He obviously had the pandemic. He's now got the war in, in Russia, although, as I said, that wasn't apparently factored into the figures he, he produced yesterday. The reality is that he's he's lost control of the British economy. We have a situation where we now have staggering levels of debt. We have soaring inflation. We have a huge impact on the cost of living and we have incredibly high levels of taxation now you can say as i said you know rishi sunak was unlucky with the pandemic etc but at the end of the day this has happened on his watch and he is responsible for it and i couldn't really see anything yesterday apart from you know this sort of this this sort of futuristic you know this tax cut in two years time which he said was fully costed, but quite clearly isn't fully costed because he doesn't know what what the actual situation of facing the British economy in two right. years' time is going to be. Apart from that, I didn't actually see what his economic, his broader economic strategy was. Well, that's been the problem, hasn't it? Because I mean, we've been talking for a while, Dan, on this show about the kind of lack of forward planning that seems to have been going on in this country. And I don't just mean under Boris Johnson's leadership. I mean, going all the way back, really, uh, probably to um, to David Cameron's prime ministership, that there wasn't really an awful lot of planning going on. George Osborne sort of single-handedly deconstructed an awful lot of things that we didn't find out about until later. Um, and suddenly here we are with no control of our own energy, no control over seemingly, um, you know, a basket of sort of goods, if, if you like. We've got the wheat problem in Ukraine. We've got container ships being charged much more money than they used to be charged. You know, there's this kind of inflationary spiral going on. And you get the sense that nobody's really able to do anything about it. Well, if you rem- if you remember in the middle of the <clears throat> excuse me in the middle of the COVID crisis, obviously Boris came up with this famous. It was almost like it was like the whack a mole strategy for yeah. having different lockdowns. It's almost like Rishi Sunak is pursuing a you know a whack a mole economics agenda. I mean, we, we, we've you know everything that he seems to be doing is designed to deal with a particular one-off event or crisis. So we we've got this national insurance increase which is primarily meant uh, the, the backlog in waiting lists. Mm. We obviously had the cut in fuel duty yesterday, um, which is supposed to be a, a one-off and is supposed to uh, end in March, but it won't end in March because there's no way politically he's going to stand up in March and say, oh, no, I'm announcing today a 5p increase in fuel duty. Right. So that, so he, he's caught, he's hooked himself, he's caught on that one. Mm. He's got, this uh, penny cut in income tax in in two years' time, which he, he's got already built into the system, but he doesn't know what the economic scenario is going to be there. And none of it deals with the big strategic problem, which is obviously, as we've seen, the, 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 the soaring inflation, the cost of living crisis, the soaring deficit and soaring taxation. Yeah. And I, if you said to me, like, what? It, I mean, I think you're a little bit unfair there actually david cameron george osborne you know i remember 
they had a very very clear focus they were elected saying we are going to we are going to eradicate the deficit that was that you know and their entire economic and policy agenda was was geared to that and they yeah. and they succeeded at the end um well they didn't really though did they because the deficit's still there well they got rid of the deficit but the debt was still there but i mean but now obviously we've had pandemic and it's and, and obviously it's, it, it's rocketed again mm. but but you know and again i was listening to to rishi sunak yesterday and he was talking about the deficit he was talking about debt he was talking about his need and his desire to get that under control but then he announced the tax cut and then yeah. he announced the, the, the cut in fuel jet. so it it, it none of it seems to add up or make sense or seems to be part of a, of, of a broader economic strategy. Right. But also, given that the fuel tax as a, is at a certain level, by taking five pence off it when it's already jumped by, say, 50 pence, the government's coffers are still getting more money than they were this time last year. Right? I mean, exactly. And, you know, he did have a lot of... You know, obviously, the pre-briefing was he actually, in terms of in terms of receipts and revenue, he, had, he actually had a... a, a a lot of money to play with but you know if you look at the the coverage this morning and as you said you know people much more uh, with much greater economic expertise than me are scrabbling around and they're looking through the figures and they're saying how does if he does perceive the cost of living crisis as being the biggest threat facing the british people facing mm. facing us all what was in the strategy yesterday that, that that was going to deal with it, and I, you know, it. it I mean, we'll 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 see. I mean, obviously, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. But right. I, I don't I don't believe that you know, in six months' time, everyone is going to be wandering around saying, "Wasn't Rishi's mini budget fantastic?" And it's really it's really helped me through this. Yeah, it's really this freed up my uh, my ability to spend more money, which it hasn't done, which will drive more people away from spending money, which will drive more people away from. The high street, which will drive more people away from um, being able to go abroad on holiday and all that sort of thing. So spending will be down. Uh, we'll sort of have, in the end, an inflationary spiral uh, with less money going into business. But also, this is the thing that I, I mean, I haven't understood for a while now, which is, you know, we had the pandemic. We know what the economic impact of that was. We're, we're, we're obviously still seeing that that playing out. It seems to me that Rishi Sunak has assumed that, well, that's over and the economy has recovered and everyone's bounced back and everything's going to be fine. Now, that's quite a big assumption to make, yeah. especially given, as we're saying, the other the global issues. We've got war in Europe going on. The pandemic globally has not gone away. It's still, I mean, we're, we're in quite a good place here, but if you look at what's happening... Uh, happening in other parts of the world it's still having a, ma a major impact and as we as i said i mean at the end of the day as a result of what he said yesterday we are all now looking at the biggest impact on living standards since records began mm. now that is not a particularly good endorsement for whatever reason of rishi sunak's management of the british economy no but is it also because we're in this kind of um, holding pattern, given what's going on in Ukraine, Britain's just promised more missiles and more funding um, that you can't really do much while that's all going on? Well, I mean, but, but, this, but this is the point. I mean, some people, were, you know, somebody was saying to me yesterday, well, you know, I was saying, where is the strategy? And people were saying to me yesterday, well, he's, he's had these crises to deal with. But if you're dealing with the crisis, that's even more reason why you need to have a, 
have a strategy. And I've got to be honest, even even before COVID happened, I mean, I remember writing this at the time, even before COVID happened, it wasn't particularly clear to me what the government wanted to do economically. So we had yesterday Rishi Sunak saying, my priority is going to be, I mean, again, there was a contradiction here, but his priority at one point seemed to be paying down and eradicating the deficit. It was also then, but I want to, I want to cut taxes. Mm. There was lots of stuff about we're going to need to contain, curtail um, public spending. Fine, but what what happened to the whole leveling up agenda? You know, the whole leveling up agenda is uh, more buses, more more trains, more schools, right. more more police, more hospitals. You know, what well as that has that gone now? Is that is that is that gone now? Well out listen, I mean talking to anyone that I do talk to who uses trains, all they tell me is well the trains are really full now because lots of them keep getting cancelled. You can't actually get the train that you normally want to get because it's not there. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, it was only a few months ago I thought the government announced this once in a generation ex- expansion of of the rail network. And as I said, we're supposed to be having this huge, you know, sea change in what I assumed was public investment and what we were told was public investment to level up the whole north of England. As I said, is that is that on hold now? Wow. You were talking about, we were talking about the U- Ukraine crisis. Everybody I, I'm speaking to is saying, look, we're going to have to need to see a very significant increase in defence expenditure mm-hmm. if this is the if this is the future we're 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 facing. Again, where, where's that? Where's the money for that coming from? Right. And, and he he didn't really seem to have any 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 answers to that yesterday. No, I suppose the only guy who'll be happy about the Rishi Sunak headlines is uh, Keir Starmer, um, whose performance yesterday, even for him, was awful, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, he did. The, I mean, I've seen it happen a couple of times. I mean, you'll have seen it happen a couple of times. You know, he, he obviously he came in with his six pre-prepared questions on P and O. Yeah. His first question to the prime minister was, right, what are you going to do about this? Boris Johnson surprised him by standing up saying, well, my, I, I think it's quite clear that they've broken the law, and we're going to take them to court, and we are going to do stuff to protect, um, uh, to protect the wages of of, of, of people who 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 are in, engaged in seafaring. And it kind of, and in that sort of situation, you have to be able to pivot and, and, and acknowledge the answer. And he just decided to try ploughing on with his six pre-prepared questions. And and as you said, I mean, I was sitting there yesterday watching and I was thinking, you know, with Prime Minister questions before a major financial statement, it always gets overshadowed. But it's just as well for Keir Starmer it was overshadowed because, as you said, it he, he fell flat on his face. Hmm. And he's done it a couple of times recently. I mean, he started, you know, Boris is, is sort of bounced back Um you know, as a result, since as Ukraine has pushed Partygate into the background, yeah. Boris is on the front foot again. I'm not, by the way, one of those people who thinks he, that by any stretch of the imagination he's out of the woods on. on no, in fact, many people have said that to me, that while this is all fine and dandy, he's definitely not out of the woods at all. No, he's, he's not. Well, we talked about Partygate at the time and the fundamentals are the, are the fundamentals. What he said, you know, what he said to the country at the time is a, is a matter of record. What he said in the House of Commons is a matter of record. The police, I mean... God knows what the police, how it is taking the police this long to conduct this investigation. I, I can't. It's they, incredible, isn't it? They're not. They're not investigating the great train robbery here. You know. I well, mean, it's, I was saying. I it, think they were trying. To, you think they were trying to find the Dead Sea Scrolls hidden in a safe at the bottom of the ocean in the Titanic? Well, exactly. And, and I have to say, the one thing is that, that the fact that they are being taking so long over this does make me wonder if 
they're, they're, they're covering themselves because they are actually going to throw the book at a lot of people. Mm. Um, I mean, I cannot for the life of me think we're going to go through all this rigmarole and at the end they're going to say nothing to see here. Um, and when that happens, I mean, we've seen how, you know, again, that that word, the political narrative, how the nar- political narrative shifted so dramatically away from party gain. Yeah. I think it will can can and will just as equally shift 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 back to it. And, and the fundamentals are still there. You know, Boris was telling us all we had to stay at home and lock ourselves away whilst they were having a knees up in Downing Street. Mm. And, and that's you know that's not just that's not gone away and and sort of continuously by the way yeah i mean it's well i mean it um, i mean i've lost count of how many different incidents the police are investigating but you know the the length of time it's taking them to investigate even though you know unfortunately there is a sort of a a slight inspector whiff of inspector clouseau about around the metropolitan police at the moment um I, i you know i i still think it shows there is something quite clearly there that they think is worth investigating. Well, I mean, it reminds me of that old phrase, you know, why don't you go and arrest the real criminals? Well, have a look inside Scotland Yard. That seems to be where they all are. <laughs> well, they currently <laughs> seem... If the investigation is they, they all currently seem to be, you know, residing in number 10 Downing Street. Yeah, well, so exactly right. Absolutely. So let's see what they come up with. Absolutely. All right, listen, Dan, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Dan Hodges there from the Mail on Sunday, catching up with what Rishi Sunak did yesterday. According to many of you, uh, local petrol stations, says Lee, uh, up in Sedgefield in County Durham, have dropped their prices by six pence. This is after increasing prices a few days prior, so putting them back to last week, basically. Uh, Mark in Suffolk says, my local BP garage was 176.9 yesterday, uh, and it's now 179.9 this morning. Uh, even with the 5p cut, it's managed to go up again. There you go. So, uh, are you any better off or are you worse off? I think the question uh, is a rather redundant one. Rishi Sunak did what he could do, but has he done really enough? I don't think so. This is Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Sebastian Gorka coming up in the next hour. He's going to be telling us all about the Biden papers, if you like, uh, those emails that turned out to have been suppressed uh, during the election. Isn't that interesting? We'll find out exactly what that's all about. Also, we'll get his view on what Joe Biden and the White House are doing uh, with regard to Ukraine, because Boris Johnson's over uh, in Brussels meeting up with NATO. Let's talk now to Isabel Oakshot, journalist, author of White Flag, an examination of the UK's defence capability. Isabel, welcome to the show. Nice to see you. And you. Thank Thank, you. Thank you very much for for joining us. I mean, Boris is out there talking to NATO. I mean, my question to everyone I ever ask about NATO uh, is what exactly is NATO for? Because they don't seem to do an awful lot. Well, I think that the conflict in Ukraine has really concentrated minds on the state and purpose of NATO. You're absolutely right that uh, in recent years, the organisation has felt a little bit sort of um, flat, really. And, uh, you know, I think that there's been a real sense amongst so many NATO member states that they don't really need this thing anymore. And they're rather grudging about having to pay into it. I mean, as you know, and many of your listeners will know, only a handful of the 30 member states have been paying their fair share. It was a big theme Mm. of Donald Trump's, you know, who, who argued very powerfully that it was really not fair that all these member states should expect the protection of the United States and and followed by the United Kingdom, in fact, the 
Baltic states are very good at paying their share, we now know why, right. uh, without putting their own resources into it. And I think that the actions of President Putin will perhaps lead to a bit of a revival of NATO. It's, a, it's at a crossroads now, uh, and it needs to rediscover a sense of purpose. And, and perhaps this is exactly what the organisation needs. Unfortunately, yes. it should be these circumstances. Yeah, because it seems to become a bit sort of soft and flabby, doesn't it? Because on the day that Russia went into Ukraine, day one, which is now a month ago, I seem to remember the, the first statement that came out of NATO was, please don't do it, which was kind of pretty wishy-washy really wasn't it well absolutely and in fact if you even if you go back to 9 11 um and talk to the then um nato secretary general george robertson now mm. lord robertson about how difficult it was to galvanize nato to take collective action after that atrocity which killed so many people in the united states i mean if ever there were a case of a very obvious attack on a NATO member state. It was 9-11 and it actually was very difficult um, in those in the hours and days that followed to agree a collective response. Mm. So, you know, since then, fortunately, NATO has not had to agree a collective response in, in anything like those circumstances. But it needs to now be ready to do so. And I think another question is what now constitutes an attack on one member state? Because under the Article 5, the very important article, which gives everybody who belongs to the organisation protection uh, if they are uh, the subject of an armed attack, uh, then uh, that really raises questions about these days in an age of cyber warfare, in an age of the use of chemical weapons tactically, what is an armed attack? And is that definition rather archaic mm. now, the type of hybrid warfare and the different methods that hostile and rogue nations are using uh, in order to weaken uh, their targets? Yes, because we're already hearing, aren't we, that, that Putin in his armoury may have or may wish to use uh, some kind of tactical nuclear weapon or chemical weapon, albeit uh, not exploded over land, possibly exploded over sea, um, just to sort of threaten everybody with. Um, and it's not clear to me what NATO would do if something like that happened. Well, I think the short answer is very little. Mm. You know, unless an attack is deemed to have affected directly a NATO member state, the organisation has made it crystal clear uh, that it's not going to get involved. Now, you know, should President Putin's troops tiptoe across the border into Putin, there, uh, sorry, into Poland, uh, then we will have the real test. Right. You know, and we know that he he's pushed his luck a little bit. You know, he's been within 15 kilometres of the Polish border. So that's when the test will come. But I think that there are much more profound issues that go well beyond the current conflict, as I say, to do with the definition of what constitutes an attack on a NATO member state. And, and by the way, when are all these other countries going to start paying in? Great, great news that Germany finally, finally is beginning to step up. But there are so many other countries uh, Italy, Denmark, you know, a long list of them mm. that are way down the bottom of the league table on contributing. And we don't hear much about what's going on with Germany and Russia vis-a-vis -vis the gas purchasing because uh, they've been accused in the past of basically paying for Putin's war in Ukraine. I mean, as far as you know, have they now stopped getting gas from Russia or are they still paying for it? 
No, but I'm sure they haven't stopped getting gas from Russia. I mean, the really big concession there uh, by the Germans was saying, look, we're not going to go ahead uh, with this pipeline Nord Stream 2, which is right. all but ready. Uh, an incredibly important project, joint project between the Russians and the Germans. And the Germans have been sort of holding out and uh, trying to, to kind of hold on to that pipeline uh, for much longer than any of the rest of us would like. I think the real question, though, is how long uh, they will uh, keep that in abeyance, you know, and is this just a kind of short term, okay, we're not doing it now, but we are going to Mm. do it later. And you're absolutely right, those ties uh, between uh, the Russians and very, very senior figures across the political and business uh, world in Germany are profound. The Russians have been working on this for a long time, and I don't think those are going to be unraveled. Uh, very quickly by any means or if at all so it's something that we really need to hold Germany to account on absolutely right and what about NATO's response vis-a-vis what happened in Belgrade all those years ago when they uh, were authorized to bomb Serbia Um, that was a very different situation obviously but in the same way the UN somehow got involved in the Balkans war the UN are not getting involved in this and NATO seem reluctant to go anywhere near any kind of prospect of that And I think it really just raises questions over the point of these, um, you know, these global organisations. I mean, don't get me started on the UN. What what is the point of a UN Permanent Security Council, which has the five members, the five permanent members, include China and Russia, both of whom have a veto on on everything? Um, Now, the counter argument, if you talk to someone like Rory Stewart, very knowledgeable former a minister in the government now out of politics, but does know his stuff. He will argue, well, that's that's kind of the point of it. You, you don't just talk to your friends. I can't agree with that because China and Russia together pose the greatest threat to our ways of life. Mm. If they are continually established as permanent members of the UN Security Council with a veto on everything, then basically you're rendering uh, the UN in that capacity completely pointless. And I think it's really time that we we looked at this afresh. Yes. Uh, and I don't subscribe to the argument, oh, it's all you know, it's all lit- written in legal code and we can't unravel it. Well, I think we're better than that. There, there must be a way. There must be. You're quite right. And also, finally, um, Isabel, the EU has proven itself to be almost completely and utterly irrelevant during this crisis, hasn't it? I mean, it hasn't done anything, isn't able to do anything, doesn't have any kind of military capability. You know, really, really embarrassing. Well, I'm glad in a way that they don't have any military (laughs) capability. I mean, this is something they were trying to do, isn't it, for a long time. And people like you and me were really very suspicious of that. They would have liked to have got us involved in, you know, helping them create an EU army. Can you imagine the absolute shambles that that would be? Um, So in a way, thank God the EU hasn't got its uh, tentacles over this. As always, you know, they make some virtue signalling noises, but it doesn't translate into much on the ground. And, you know, uh, Brexit, I think in this context, we've actually seen that Brexit is a good thing. uh, And the UK has been very much in the lead, I think, on the response. We've been a lot tougher than pretty much everybody else. And I think Zelensky's decision to make his address to Westminster before any other parliament Um, shows just what uh, the kind of status that we now enjoy. 
uh, in the minds of the Ukrainians. And of course, that's not going to be limited to the Ukrainians. It's about the UK being back as a player on the international yes. stage. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakshot, the journalist, author of White Flag and Examination of the UK's Defence Capability. Some very interesting points about NATO. What's it for? But more importantly, and possibly even more um, security-wise, importantly, what on earth is the United Nations doing? Apart from nothing. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. In search of the perfect debate. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Also, of course, available on the television. All you've got to do uh, is download the app. It is, of course, the Talk Radio TV app or just go to the talkradio.tv page and you can watch us uh, on the app in all our glory. We're all the way through the day. Uh, Jeremy Carl, of course, from 4, Ian Collins from 1, Kevin O'Sullivan from 7, James Whale from 10. Back to James Max and Julie Hartley Brewer in the morning. Uh, you can also watch it on Apple TV, on Rakuten, on Samsung TV+, Roku, YouTube and all sorts of other places as well, including Amazon Fire. It's a thing of great beauty. You want to watch us. And we've got Talk TV coming as well, which is very, very soon. And it's going to be very, very exciting with the likes of Piers Morgan. Uh, we've got Sharon Osbourne coming on. Tom Newton Dunn as well. All sorts of great people doing shows that you will be very much enjoying, I'm sure. And now, one of the men that we will see, I'm sure, quite regularly uh, on Talk TV and on Talk Radio TV is James Chiaverini, uh, our favourite restaurateur, who happens to be over in West London, or Portico, uh, in Kensington, the oldest family-run Italian restaurant in London. James, a very good uh, morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. How's it all going? Well, listen, I was going fine until I went to roast yesterday. They wouldn't give me a, a medium cheeseburger and they told me I had to have it medium well. To be honest, right, if they hadn't said anything and just given it to me, I would have probably known the difference, right? But instead they made a big song and dance about how Southwark Council told them they couldn't do it. I mean, you yeah. and I, I've seen you having to uh, dismantle pieces of your restaurant at the behest of Kensington uh, Council. So, I mean, what's going on? What is going on? Do they tell you what you can cook and what you can't cook? So this is an interesting piece of food safety law. Um, because hamburgers are basically ground meat, the surface area of the actual meat is exponentially a lot more than if you're cooking a steak. Right. So the food risk is going to be a lot more because the bacteria is always going to be on the outside of the meat, if that makes sense. Yes. However, uh, there is, as always, a uh, enough, more than enough room for common sense on these kind of, on these kind of matters, I think. And I mean, I think that people fundamentally associate, say, high risk foods like oysters and prawns and clams without actually thinking about things like hamburgers and stuff, which, right. meat, which, can, which can potentially carry the same pathogens. I mean, look, yeah, but come a, on. I mean, we're all grown ups here, aren't we? You know, exactly. I don't need to be. Exactly. That's like telling me not to stab myself in the eye with a fork, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, if, the, if you're the one who's having the hamburger and you want it medium rare and you accept the fact that there is a very small chance of food poisoning that comes from there, just like there is a very small chance of getting hit by a bus when you cross the road. Yeah. If you accept those risks, then you should have the hamburger. I mean, there's a small chance of getting mugged if I go there for dinner when I'm leaving and going walking down Borough High Street at midnight. You know, there's, there's, a, that, there's that part. It doesn't stop me going out for dinner. What about, um, what about steak tartare? Because I asked the guy, I said, can you do me a steak tartare? He went, oh, yeah, that's no problem. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's raw. <laughs> because because that's true, but because I think a lot of things with steak tartare is that they chop it up there and then on the premises, whereas with hamburgers, it's ground off-site, so there's less control. Yes, that's However, one of the things he said. He said, we bring the burgers in as burgers. Yeah. Shouldn't they be making them themselves? 
you could do i mean you could you could do it all yourself so you could make get it made off site it doesn't really you know it depends it depends who does it at the end of the day mike it comes down to common sense and it comes down to who you trust if you go to a decent restaurant run by decent operators with decent suppliers the risk of the risk of you catching any kind of bug is minimal like always yeah, exactly right. Now let's talk about the chicken crisis because this yeah. really does uh, um, worry me. Because apparently, according to uh, a story we saw yesterday in the Times, uh, the price of chicken is going to go through the roof. We've already had uh, lockdown for chickens. We had that earlier this week, apparently um, uh, because of a bird flu. What's, what, right. what, what are you hearing? Because you, because you've also, re- I should give you a big, a big up here because you at Il Portico, I understand, have, have reinvigorated the old chicken Kiev, haven't you? Yeah, we did. We brought it back for the menu for the first time in 46 years to donate £10 for every dish to the Red Cross in Ukraine. Very nice. And that's great. And it's been really fun. And it's one of those dishes that is just so comforting because nobody, nobody's eaten one in years. Right. And so, you know, it's just a way to bring a bit of a smile onto people's faces and to raise a bit of money for Ukraine. And for, people, and for people who don't know what it is, just tell them. Uh, chicken, yeah, it's basically, it's, it's, a, it's a flattened breast of chicken with, uh, with garlic, parsley and butter and then wrapped up deep and then covered in, in breadcrumbs, egg wash, and then either fried or, or, or other roast. Can I have it medium rare? <laughs> you don't want chicken medium rare, <laughs> that Mike. No, I know. I mean, that is one thing you don't want, for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so tell us about what you're hearing on the chicken front, on terms of prices oh, and stuff. It, it's like everything, Mike. It's like everything. It's like lamb, it's chicken. Everything is going through the absolute roof. I mean, the prices are just bananas at the moment, right. Mike. A lot of this stuff is down to do with, with avian flu. On our farm that we've got down in Kent, we basically said so there's there's no we had to move, bring all our chickens inside. There's no outdoor chickens that are now allowed because of avian flu, uh, and it's it's just it's just it's wreaking havoc on the food chain. Mm. Uh, but chickens always been a cheap meat in the sense so if it goes up by twenty percent, you know it's not the end of the world. Um, lamb now is incredibly expensive because it's springtime as well. Right. Um, but I mean, good quality food always costs. I mean, if you put this into, into perspective, Mike, in 1972. <laughs> The average house spent about 42% of their monthly income on food. Now, 40-odd years later, that's dropped down to 22%. Food's actually become incredibly cheap over Mm. the last few years. And to be honest with you, paying more for better quality from British farmers is not not necessarily a bad thing. No. And it tastes better as well, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Higher standards of welfare, higher standards of, uh, of everything, and, and, and obviously higher standards of produce full stop. I mean, I don't generally speaking buy the sort of the cheapest chicken uh, that you can get in a supermarket, but you really taste the difference if you do happen to get one. Um, yeah. It just doesn't taste as good, does it? No. And the great thing about the pandemic is that a lot of farmers and a lot of suppliers who were supplying to supermarkets moved their business models to supply online. So if you were just to Google say, you know, farm to farm to consumer foods or farm to table foods, you will find a butcher near you or you find a farm near you who will sell you a box of, of, you know, a box of his lamb or a box of his chickens or a box of his pork or his yeah. beef or whatever have you at probably the same price that you're going to get it at Sainsbury's and yeah. much nicer quality and you're buying directly from a source. Right. Sounds like you should get down to the old hunting grounds and start to, to get some yeah. food uh, organised that doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going down there on Monday, actually. We've got, we got um, yeah, we've got, put some nice wild venison on the menu. Nice. Nice. I'm going to have to come and see you soon because it's been a while. Uh, so we should, yes. now that the nights are getting longer, uh, or shorter rather, um, I may, may be popping over soon for dinner. Yeah, well, we're doing a huge, we're doing probably the biggest terrace, outdoor summer terrace in oh, the yeah. West London, I think, this summer. That's going to be great. And we're, we're doing one-off special events with celebrity chefs. 
all raising money again for the Red Cross. Okay. We're going to try and get to fifty thousand pounds raised by September the thirtieth. All right, so brilliant. I'll come and I'll come and I'll come and help you out for no, absolutely no problem at all. We shall do so. Good to see you, James. Thanks very much indeed, James Kiavarini, there, a restaurateur, telling me why uh, there are rules around hamburgers. But I mean, really, you don't need to have a rule. For example, you know as well as I do that if you're cooking chicken. You don't want to undercook chicken because that can actually give you salmonella. Uh, you can actually get food poisoning from it. In the same way that you wouldn't cook a dodgy mussel or a bad piece of shellfish, you wouldn't do it. But when you go into a restaurant and they're cooking you a hamburger, surely to God you can trust that the meat they've got is good enough and decent enough and cooked well enough by professional chefs that it ain't going to poison you. For God's sake, Southwark Council, get out of the kitchen. Fix the council problems. Fix the roads. Fix the schools. Fix the parking. Do something that you're supposed to do. Make sure people's bins get collected on time. Don't talk to me about bleeding hamburgers, okay? Thanks. This is Talk Radio. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the place to hear the most sense that you've ever heard in one place for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on end. Uh, you heard Tony Buxton earlier talking about Chris Whitty and how ludicrous it is now that he's saying, oh, maybe we got it a bit wrong with the lockdowns. Maybe that was actually quite harmful to people. Really? You think? Well, that's what we were telling you. That's when you should have been listening to us. There's no point listening to us now, now that we've proved right. We've been proven right about a lot of things. I've been telling you all about the uh, trauma of not being able to order a medium cheeseburger from a restaurant here because apparently Southern Council say it's not allowed. Too dangerous. For God's sake, can you imagine that happening in Washington, D.C.? Uh, when you can give, you can give me uh, as much raw meat as you can, uh, but you can't have a medium cooked cheeseburger. I mean, for heaven's sake. We're going to talk about Hunter Biden coming up in this hour because uh, Sebastian Gorka is here, the good doctor uh, from the White House, of course, former aide to Donald Trump. Uh, he is here with his own show, of course, America First and the Gorka Reality, former White House aide. We're also talking about Joe Biden, uh, who's apparently coming to Europe. As if we haven't got enough problems. What are we in him for? 0344 499 is the number. It's Thursday, of course, as well. So uh, we will be taking more of your calls and we'll be welcoming the Thursday Club with Helena Nicklin. She's bringing in some wine uh, for us to try on this very nice spring day. It is spring. Uh, spring is definitely near. I think the clocks are changing coming up this weekend. I think I'm right in saying. Uh, do listen all day through the day uh, to this fantastic radio station. Now, of course, also on television. 0344 This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of common sense, the world headquarters, indeed, of common sense. And I'm delighted to say uh, that I can welcome once more Dr. Sebastian Gorka from Washington, D.C. Sebastian, a very good uh, morning to you where you are. To you, the king of common sense. (laughs) Now, what on earth is Biden doing coming here? Before we start, we'll get to that. Can I just... I saw your tweet yesterday. I just want to say thank you for being the person who is shutting down the loony conspiracy theorists on our side. I've had it with the loony left, but when people say, I'm a conservative, I'm a Tory, but the KGB, you know, colonel is the good guy and Zelensky is some, 
you know, dissembling liar for the World Economic Forum. I know. The, the world has gone insane. So thank you, Mike. Yeah, listen, I appreciate your support. It is extraordinary, though, isn't it? Why there are so many people who believe this rubbish. It is. It is. And look, I understand the cynicism. I understand after two years of COVID, I understand the lies from the quote unquote experts and the, the legacy media. I, I get the skepticism, but let's not fall into cynicism. And and I remember when you and I about the same age, mm. I when conservatives hated all KGB colonels. Yes. When realized that the KGB is a bad thing. And when independent countries being invaded by Russia is not good so guys a little bit of common sense please i understand there's a lot of misinformation disinformation and distrust but come on you know he's evil he's murderous and think of you know from conservative values what is Zelensky doing he's staying there standing his ground fighting for his family fighting for his nation and we here biden offered him an evacuation said hey why don't you run away and hide and what did he say i don't need a ride i need ammunition yes. ammun we should applaud that mike we really should instead of looking for reasons to not believe it i mean i understand that people have suffered um, at the hands of some bad propaganda for some from some bad governments and some from, from bad leaders as well but that doesn't mean that everything that anybody says is completely and utterly wrong or a lie does it no not at all we have to be discerning but to say that being invaded by another country is okay Please stop the insanity, guys. Yeah, absolutely right. And let's talk a little bit about uh, talking of insanity. This incredible Hunter Biden story. You've been talking about it, for, of course, for a long time. Once again, proven correct. You know, the number of times that you and I now have to say, I told you so, is extraordinary, right. isn't it? Well, it truly is when you have the grey lady uh, here in the United States. The uh, used to be used to be the newspaper of record, the New York Times. I know. What a shambles. A a total disgrace. A year and a half later, say, oh, yes, by the way, the Hunter Biden laptop story is real. The photographs with the prostitutes, the snorting cocaine, the business with China, the business with Ukraine, the business with Burisma, it's all real because we had it verified. They don't mention who did the verification. Why? Because they're ashamed. A year and a half ago, the oldest newspaper in America founded by one of our founding fathers, Alexander Hamilton, the amazing New York Post, said, yes, we've had our guys verify the laptop. It's real. This is one of the most corrupt individuals in America who profited from his daddy being vice yeah. president. Now he's president. And what happened back then? I know the lady, Emma Jo Morris, who broke the story for the New York Post. It was banned on Twitter. It was banned That's on right. Facebook. I tried to repost it and I wasn't allowed to repost the story. But now it's real. Now it's been confirmed. Now, why is that? This is the, the real question is, why would they say this a year and a half later? Yes. And oh, that there is actually a confidential grand jury investigating Hunter Biden right now. So maybe The New York Times got a little whisper that there's something very bad coming down the pike for Joe Biden and for his son, and they don't want to look even more embarrassed. So stay tuned, yes, friend. Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? We were just looking at the pictures as you were speaking there, Sebastian. And even now, having seen them before, they're still incredibly shocking. And the, the fact that this is the son of the most powerful man in the world, supposedly, um, you know, the, the president of the United States of America. And the other question I would have is why? Uh, were you not allowed to repost them? Why uh, were they said to be unreal pictures? Why were they said to be uh, put together as some kind of a hoax? I mean, I just don't understand that. 
Well, and, and so peculiar when they said, well, well, this is uh, disinformation when we had Obama's former CIA director, Obama's former chief of national intelligence say this looks a lot like Russian disinformation. Well, uh, John Brennan, well, uh, Jim Clapper, well, Michael Hayden, mm. where you apologize for your lies. And how is it Russian disinformation when this, this is the, you know, the Monty Python level absurdity when Hunter Biden's lawyers demand to get the laptops back right they're not your laptops then your lawyer can't demand to have them back and the images you just showed look mike wh when i was in the white house i had a top secret clearance i've still got my clearance mm. is you have to fill out a form what are your foreign contacts what business arrangements have you had with anybody overseas these are we have the voice mails on his laptop i've played them on my radio show right. He said, and I have to edit this for, you know, public consumption. I'm in business with the effing spy chief of communist China. If, if I had a brother who, who was in business with the chief spook in, in, in Beijing, I don't get a security clearance. I would never be allowed to get a security clearance in my life. His father is now 25 feet away from the nuclear launch codes every single day. And we have the evidence of why he should be absolutely um, banned from mm. any responsibility. And he's never explained it properly, really, has he? He's denied it. No, yeah. he said, I have never discussed, we have it on the record, I have never discussed my son's business dealings with my son. Then, thanks to other people at the New York <laughs> Post, we get the photograph from the swanky Italian restaurant here in Georgetown of Hunter Biden with his daddy Joe Biden in the private room with his business partners from Central Asia. We've got the photograph, yeah. the smoke gun. Unbelievable, absolutely incredible. Meanwhile, uh, the leader of the free world has come to Brussels to have a powwow with NATO, which apparently appears to me to be about as useless as a chocolate teapot. They don't seem to do anything. Uh, President Trump tried to make some of the other countries pay their fair share uh, and actually do something towards the defence of Europe. But NATO doesn't appear to have the stomach for it, does it? Yeah, well, look, he landed uh, yesterday. And, and my, my request to you guys in Europe is, can you just keep him, please? We don't, <laughs> we don't want him. Just put him in some old people's home somewhere with a cup of typhoon and just leave him there. Uh, when it comes to NATO, I, I cut my teeth in the 90s on NATO. I helped Hungary join the alliance when I was working in the defense ministry there. I was a fellow at the NATO Defense College in Rome. And it was the most successful defense alliance of the modern age. You know, defeated the Soviet Union without a shot being fired, mm. thanks to Maggie and thanks to Reagan. Yeah. But now we've had a war for four weeks and they're going to have a summit four weeks in. Who cares about the summit? This is, should be Supreme Allied Headquarters in Mons. This should be the North Atlantic Council meeting day one to find out how we can help the Ukrainians. Because God bless them. They have taken out latest figures. 15,000 Russian troops. That is what the death toll was in Afghanistan after 10 years. And these brave freedom fighters have done it in three weeks. So we should be helping them to arm themselves to take out the Russian invaders. And now they're having a protocol summit. It's insane. And what about the UN, Mike? I thought the UN was supposed to prevent wars. 
Well, the UN is an absolute sham of an organisation. The idea that you have a National Security Council, we were just talking to Isabel Oakshaw about this a moment ago, that has Russia and China on it, who basically veto everything that anybody else wants to do. The whole point of, of, of having it is, is redundant, isn't it? Yeah, I think the whole thing should be pushed into the Hudson River. The yes. whole, I said, that's the only job I'm going to take in the next Trump administration, just for the sheer fun of it. Yeah. If JT wants to make me ambassador to the UN, I would love it because the second I walk in the building, it would catch flames. I think I'd do that. Job. I think I think you should do that very, very soon. I mean, when I lived in New York City, it was the bane of my life. You know, I used to have a friend who lived down uh, sort of 44th Street and every sort of couple of weeks he wasn't able to walk to his own apartment. Uh, because they closed the roads off. And in addition to which, it was the highest generation, uh, highest generated number of sort of foreign criminals that would come and work there uh, and all have diplomatic immunity. So, you know, there were women getting raped. There were people getting run over in the street. Uh, they never paid a parking ticket in their lives. They didn't bother paying tolls. They didn't bother paying anything because they all weren't diplomatic immunity. It's an absolute ridiculous situation. Well, forget about what they did in New York. I mean, you know, with thousands of dollars of parking fines racked up. Look at their reputation overseas. Oh. This is an organization that was created to stop wars, to prevent wars. Instead, we've had them from, you know, the Balkans to Korea to now Ukraine. And then when they send their quote unquote peacekeepers, mm. we find out they're raping young girls again and again and again. Yeah. It is absolute utter disgrace and to have dictatorships dictatorships in the national security council that can veto anything and then when when the ukraine conflict breaks out who's chairing the session of the security russia, of russia? i mean it's, it's, it's you couldn't really make it up could you you think it was a satire of some kind some kind of movie that somebody's written and that's the other thing that these kind of um you know ukraine deniers come out with where they go oh yeah well the thing about Zelensky is he used to be an actor well so did ronald reagan he was one of the best presidents that anybody had ever seen. Bingo. That's what I always say when, when you have people say, well, he's an actor. Yeah. Can I remind you, we've had one before. Yes. And he won the Cold War along with Maggie Thatcher and blessed St. John Paul II. Yes, absolutely right. So it's tell us about uh, what Biden's doing anyway. Once he gets back to the White House, um, how is he running America? How's it going? What's the latest? It's catastrophic. We have double digit inflation. We have uh, petrol prices through the roof. We have the highest petrol prices in American history. Mm. We have the Secretary of Energy laughing on a show, talking about how soon we will have electric cars on every street in America. And we're thinking, hang on, do you know how those cars are charged? Mm. Because it's not unicorn farts. It's actually, you know, coal-powered, you know, energy stations electricity station so we're living in cloud cuckoo land in the administration we've had we've had think of this two million illegal immigrants will be crossing our border this year mm. two million not a couple of thousand and those are the ones that we know of and they're given they're not given court dates to appear they are told on their own recognizance when you'd like to come in to immigration services will look at your case which means what they just disappear into the undergrowth now we have a woman who is being uh, uh, nominated for the supreme court the hearings are happening right now today in the senate who was chosen because she's black and a woman mm. and was asked by one of the senators excuse me can you define what a woman is <laughs> and the woman who was chosen because she's a woman doesn't know 
how to define the word woman, Mike. We're, we're living in an insane, bizarre world. We really are. Well, listen, I was saying the exact same thing just today. Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, gave his budget statement yesterday. He was on Julie Hartley Brewer's show this morning. She asked him to define a woman, right? This is a Conservative Chancellor in the number 11 Downing Street. He said, I think Boris Johnson put it best yesterday, and I agree with everything he said. Huh? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, even I, they can't I, do it. That, that great lady uh, Kelly saying, yeah, it's not difficult. Adult, female, human. Yes. If you can't say adult, female, human, forget being chancellor, forget being a judge on the highest court in the land. I wouldn't let you walk my dog. <laughs> and here's the other one, right? The other great one uh, is that uh, Kamala Harris, who also is a woman, as far as I'm aware, uh, probably can't define herself. She was quiet for a very long time. Now that she started talking, I'm beginning to wish she'd go back to being quiet again. Yeah, every day there's another <laughs> foot-in-mouth episode we can use on my show. The best one was she was on a podcast for black Americans. So this right. is for black Americans. And she treats them like kindergartners. She said, asked about the, the biggest war in Europe since 1945. She says this, don't believe me, look it up. She says, mm, yes, Ukraine. It's a large country in Europe and Russia is next door and it's bigger and it's invaded Ukraine. And that's bad. This is this is the woman who is a heartbeat away from the presidency. Yeah. Have pity on us, please. Yeah. Or, or maybe even just one possible, you know, stairway down from Air Force One away uh, from it. But the point is, as well, is that. She's obviously been, she must have been taught to speak like this, surely, by some White House aide who fears if she actually got any more complex than that, she'd say even more nonsense because they must have said to her, just talk back to whoever asked you a question by effectively repeating a few facts very slowly and see how think, that goes. Think of this. This woman, before she was a senator, was the chief prosecutor. She was the attorney general of California. Can you imagine if you went to prison because she was involved with Amazing. your case. I mean, every single case that has her fingerprints on it should be reopened and reinvestigated because this woman is a cretin. Not only that, she's an evil, evil person. Yesterday we heard her national security advisor after her wondrous trip to Poland where she laughed about the refugees in that press conference with the president of Poland. Yeah. Her security advisor has resigned. But that makes 10. Ten people have left just Kamala's office in the last year, Mike. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And what are they doing about the, the next election? Because presumably sleepy, creepy Beijing Biden isn't going to run, is he? Well, that's the trouble. If, she, if he doesn't, who's it going to be? Right. Is it Kamala? We, we have the weird, you know it because you lived here, we have the weird primary system for yeah. candidates in each party. She dropped out of the Democrat primaries in the first couple of weeks. Right. He garnered less than 2%. So you're, you're, if he leaves, you're going to have a woman at the top of the ticket who couldn't even get 2% of her own party's voters to vote for her in the primaries. And who's on the bench? Who else do they have? Are they going to put Mayor Boot Edge Edge, the, the gay Secretary of Transport who disappeared for two months without telling anybody to go on paternity leave mm. when I'm not sure how, you know, he had to suffer a lot with the adoption of a child? Or, or who, who's going to be the candidate? We don't have a candidate on their side. On our side, 
It's President Trump. He's running. And if we can sort out the election, if we don't get any hanky-panky mm. with alien ballots, he will be a walk-in. Because now we have a president who is making Jimmy Carter look good. They're not going to open up the old sarcophagus and, and uh, resurrect Hillary Clinton, are they? Uh, I pray to the Lord that that is the case. Because to see her get trounced a second time by President Trump would be delicious. She thinks she's running. They, they've reopened the Clinton Foundation. She's giving, you know, select interviews every week. So I think she's running. Whether the Democrat Party lets her is another question. But the establishment, a large chunk of the establishment is behind crooked Hillary's. Really? We'll see. We'll see. Even I mean, a lot of Democrats that I speak to don't even like her anymore. You know, that's that's how bad it is. I know. I know. So the, the, the pickings are slim. But if it were Hillary, well, that would be just superb. Ah, absolutely right. Well, listen, Sebastian, as ever, great to talk to you. Uh, keep up the good fight. When, when are we next going to see you? Are you on tonight? Um, I don't know. Whenever you need me, guys, you have my number. Text me and I am available to come to the home of common sense. Excellent. In the UK. And I think they've wiped away all travel restrictions now. So you can pop over and, and I can take you for lunch. Although I won't be taking you to lunch where I would have once taken you, which is a restaurant here called Roast. Because don't you know, I don't know if you heard the intro to this. this no. uh, yesterday, uh, I went there. It's a very nice sort of steak restaurant. They do all sorts of good seafood. I had a cheeseburger. They came to me and said, I'm sorry, we can't serve you a cheeseburger medium uh, because the Southwark Council have told us it's illegal. <laughs> Gosh, what about what about the great Hungarian restaurant? Is it still there when I lived there? The gay the... hussar? No, I think it's gone. Oh man! I don't, right. think, I don't think it survived. You have to choose the next place we go. I will. I'll find one. Don't worry. Absolutely, you're yeah. on. Sebastian Gorka, former White House aide, host of America First, of course, uh, and the Gorka Reality Check always talks a great deal of common sense, as indeed uh, do you hear it here. Uh, 0344-499-1000. We've got time to squeeze in a couple of calls. Before we get to the Thursday Club with Helena Nicklin, uh, who had a big showing this week in the Daily Mail, by the way. I don't know if you didn't see it, uh, but she'll be talking about that. Plus the three drinkers and their latest show on Amazon, uh, which is all about driving and drinking. Well, it's not actually. I shouldn't put it like that. It's about travelling around Ireland for drinking. Let's put it that way. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.